It is great to be with you here at Woodward, my first time in town, come on, <laughs> and um, I've enjoyed being here. I want to apologize for my voice. I'm going to sound very Pentecostal. Come on, somebody. <laughs> uh, the allergies, anybody with me? Oh, my word, the allergy season is here. And so all, that's all this sounds. So I'm going to sound real spiritual. Hallelujah. It is a joy to be with you at this great church um, and to be with your pastors. They are dear friends of ours. And uh, we have just enjoyed getting to see what God is doing through their life. And um, we just honor them. And we just... We just consider you guys blessed to have them as your leaders. Do you agree? Amen. They have a great heart for missions, and God always blesses anyone that is missions-minded. Amen. Uh, anybody that is involved in the rescue business is on God's side. Come on. And you are to be commended for supporting your pastors as they have gone in. He's been telling me about the prison ministry and then the ministry in Africa uh, at our dinner uh, meetings. And I, it just makes my heart so happy because the constant pattern of God's activity is rescue. If you want to know what God's up to today, he is up to rescuing someone. Amen. And how many of you need some family members rescued? Well, God has your number, and he's heard your prayers. Come on, somebody. Now, look, y'all Y'all got to talk back to the preacher this morning. Y'all don't be quiet on me. I'm used to people talking back to me, so I need you to holler amen this morning. But I'm excited about what God, I, I see this, this church as a launching pad for the, the calling and the anointing that's on Pastor Brad and Bonnie. And I just I just celebrate you today. And there's not many churches that will do that. And uh, it's just, I, I was just kind of, while I was enjoying the conversation about the, the missions focus, I, I was thinking, what a great church to get behind a pastor and send him to do things like this while at the same time being your shepherd, come on, and leading you as well. So can we give it up for your pastors one more time? Amen. And then yesterday we got to, uh, I got to be uh, the high honor of being your first speaker for your first annual women's uh, meeting. The revive and thrive was the thing. Come on, ladies. Amen. We revived and we're going to thrive. And what a prophetic declaration, Pastor Bonnie, that that was over that place. And God woke me up early this morning and gave me some, uh, some things to share with them that I'm going to share privately, probably, unless the Lord quickens me to do it publicly. But I just feel like the Lord is just stirring things in here. And that last song, uh, all the songs, but la that last song, praise team, y'all just get ready, and worship team, and band, y'all just get ready. We're going back to that. I feel like today is a holy setup. Come on, somebody. 
you thought it might, you may have thought it was just another Sunday, but God is in this room. Not just God, but the God of peace is in this room. And heaven, I felt the Holy Spirit in this place. I'm telling you, I almost leaned over to Pastor Brad and say, just do whatever the Lord's telling you to do. I don't have to speak because I felt the power of God in this room so strong. And so I know that through the word that he's given me to share, that he is going to give some breakthrough for some people that are dealing with some things. And so just to just to say thank you for having me. Thank you for this great honor, pastors, for uh, letting me stand behind what I call a sacred desk. Come on and uh, uh, deliver the word to you this morning. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. We're going to jump into the word, and I'm going to read 10 verses. And uh, there's actually uh, 12 laws of breakthrough that's a whole nother uh, t uh, sermon that I could, or teaching that I could give you, but I'm not going to go that direction today. But there's literally 12 laws of breakthrough in these 10 verses. But I'm going to highlight just one area today, and it's a familiar scripture. It's a, a story, if you've been around church very long, or you've read your Bible very much, or you've heard very many sermons, you've probably heard this, this set of scriptures. Um, but it starts out in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. He laid there to ask alms from those who entered the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked for alms. He asked for hand, a handout. He asked for them to give him something to help him uh, with maybe food or shelter. And when Peter fixed his eyes on him there with John, Peter told him, look at us. Look at me and John. And so the man gave them his attention. Watch this expecting to receive something. Everybody shout expecting. That's the key. That's the key. I'm just going to stop right here and take a little rabbit trail. Come on, somebody. That's the key to getting something from God. I've seen people come to the altar and pray for things, and before they could get back to their seat, they're already talking negativity over their situation because they didn't come down expecting to receive. Come on. Have I got something up a tree in here this morning? Come on. You have to come with your expectation level set on high. And when you do, without fail, God will show up and show out in your situation. So expecting to receive something from them, he gave them his attention. Then Peter said, the famous line, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood, walked, entered the temple with them, walking, 
leaping and praising God. He was asking for alms. My husband has a corny joke. He tells all the corny jokes in our family. He said he was asking for alms and he got legs. Come on, somebody. <laughs> uh, that wasn't quite what happened. But anyway, then it says, and all the people saw him. They saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he that sat begging alms at the beautiful gate at the temple. And they, all the people, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I just want to make a prophetic declaration over this room today. I believe that somebody is going to get what they've been asking God for in this room today. And all the people in the room are going to see it and be amazed and full of wonder at what God decided to do in this house for someone. Anybody ready to receive that for yourself? Say amen. So what I want to go into in this uh, 10 verses of scripture is I want to go back up to the top of that uh, set of scriptures and where it talks about they went to the temple at the hour of prayer or the ninth hour. And this is what is called the law of timing. The law of timing. How many of you know God has uh, his own set of uh, uh, timing? He has his own timing that doesn't correlate with ours sometimes, right? I used to sing that old song. Do y'all remember it? He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come when you want him. But he's always right on time, and we were laughing about it last night. We call him Jehovah Nikotai. Amen? I have an idea of when he should come and how he should work and when he should work, but God has his own timetable. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. God works in times and in seasons, and we get impatient with that. Oh, just tell your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, she's talking to you. You're the impatient one. Come on. Are, is there any impatient people in the room when it comes to God's timetable? All right, so there's about 20 honest folks in the room today, Pastor. Come on. But God works in times and seasons. Now, in Scripture, there are two words that are used to describe time. There's the word chronos and the word kairos. Amen. And that's the two words that the Bible uses to translate time. So we're going to talk about chronos for just a minute. Chronos is what we would call clock time, right? Clock time. We measure chronos in minutes, seconds, and hours. Chronos is a passing of seconds, minutes, hours, days. It's time on a timeline right? It's the grains of sand slipping through the hourglass. It's pick up the kids at three, make dinner at five, and go to church at seven o'clock. Come on. You were on Kronos time this morning in order for you to get to this room to worship the Lord together with the family of God. Amen? You knew what time to be here. Someone once said of Kronos, that it's God's invention to keep everything from happening all at once. We use Kronos every day in our schedules to make our life doable. 
Most of us live our lives in chronos times. I say it like this. If you want to meet with me, if you need to, to have a, uh, I tell my people, if you don't come and tell me at church that I, I want to come and talk to you this week, that will never happen. You got to call my secretary and put it on the calendar. If it's on the calendar, I live and move and breathe and have my being, come on, <laughs> outside of Jesus by my calendar. Because we live in Kronos time. But did you know that Kronos often keeps us from paying attention to God? Come on. Well, Kairos is the other word for time. It's another way of describing time. In the New Testament, Kairos time is actually referred to more than Kronos time. It, Kairos occurs 86 times in 81 verses in the Greek concordance of the King James Version, starting in Matthew 8 and running through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Kairos is God's time. Kairos is kingdom of God time. Kairos is the time zone that God lives in. Come on, somebody. Kairos time is the appointed time of the purpose of God. Kairos time is the time when God decides to act. If God has ever showed up in a situation, you remember that exact moment that happened. It may, be an, it may have come as a phone call. It may have come as a letter in a mailbox. Come on. It may have come in so many. It may have come through a sermon. It may have come through a prayer line. It may have come when the worship team was singing the song. That it just, the answer came for you from what you were seeking God for. That was your Kairos moment. It was that moment that God decided to act. It's when eternity steps in to time. Kairos is not a specific number in time. It's in many ways time all rolled up into one. It's the future, it's the past, and it's the present that all exist in one moment. Kairos is a moment in time that puts you into a new season. Come on. It's a new season. Uh, we, we know what a new season looks like. When you got married, it was a new season. Can anybody say amen? When you started that new job, you just stepped into a new season. Things shifted from the way you had used to live and be into something new. When you had that new baby that was dedicated this morning, can I forevermore tell you, you are in a new season. <laughs> Because a baby changes everything. <laughs> that baby has changed everything for that family. Amen? Now, it takes, it almost takes a moving truck to go to Walmart. <laughs> you got to think of everything just to run to the store now. Amen? It's a new season. When I spend time moving things around on my calendar to make sure I get it all done and it all is going to happen and it all fits in, I'm focusing on Kronos time. 
But when I am aware that at any time God may break into that carefully regulated calendar in order to connect with me or in order to allow me to connect with someone else, he is allowing us in that moment to experience a timeless moment. That's when Kairos is happening for us. A Kairos moment is the appointed time when the Holy Spirit is moving and ready to act. It is a moment during which the Spirit is prepared to deliver the power of God to bring dynamic transformation to a person or to a situation. Now, I don't know if you know what time it is this morning. Come on. Oh, everybody thought, well, let's look at our clock, let's look at our phone, let's look at our watch real quick, because she's asking us about a, a Kronos moment, but I'm not referring that, to that today. I'm asking, do you know that today is a moment that has been set on God's timetable for somebody in this room today? Come on. I didn't come all the way to Houston to have a pretty little church service. I came on business for the king this morning, and I didn't come with just a pretty little word. I believe God has set us up this morning in a Kairos time zone where he is ready to act and ready to respond to some faith-filled uh, prayers that have gone on, some faith-filled petitions. Come on. Come on, help me preach this morning. Some faith-filled people have walked up in this room in Kronos uh, time, but God, the God, the Kairos timing of God, you are on God's time clock this morning. Amen? Do you know what time it is? Now, I'm going to switch to an unusual scripture. And you're going to think, where is she going with this? She's just talking about Kronos and Kairos. And now I'm going to switch to a scripture and I'm going to talk to you about worms. Now you just hold with me, okay? Because I'm going to connect the dots in just a moment. All right? We're going to go to that weird verse in Joel chapter 2. That if you read your Bible through at all, and you read through the book of Joel, you probably just read right on past it, and it don't make any sense to us in the 21st century at all. But I'm about to show you in the original language how it connects to us in this day, and it all has to do with worms. Tell your neighbor, she's about to tell us about some worms. Tell your neighbor, did you know there's worms in the Bible? <laughs> Come on. So it's Joel 2, 1 verse 25. Joel 2.25, and it says it like this. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten and the cankerworm have eaten and the caterpillar have eaten and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. Now, that makes no sense, you know. Unless you're a farmer and you know what these worms do and what these worms are about. Come on, somebody. But the Hebrew meaning of these words and these insects reveal a spiritual devastation that takes place when attacks come upon us. So let's look at the word locust, all right? The, lo the word locust comes from a root word 
that is uh, in the Hebrew, the word Rava, R-A-V-A-H. And it literally means to multiply into a multitude. That's what locusts do. Locusts, they multiply into just this dark cloud uh, that's full of locusts, right? The spelling that is used in the Hebrew indicates that when a multitude of difficulties come upon us, it drowns out the still, small voice of God. So, I believe that there's somebody in this room today that you have walked through a multitude. A dark cloud has come in your life, and it has multiplied, it feels like, into a multitude of difficulties. One thing after another, after another, after another has just consumed your life and has weakened your faith this morning. But the God of peace is in this room today that we sang about. Come on. We worshiped him this morning. We worshiped the God of peace. And I believe that it is a Kairos moment in this room for God to meet you where you're at in this situation. Then there's the canker worm that it lists. The canker worm in Hebrew is the word yalak, Y-A-L-A-K. And it means to lick or lap. The Hebrew word for this insect indicates a loss of hope, meaning the canker worm literally licks away your hope in life, your hope that anything is ever going to change, your, your hope that, that anything is ever going to turn around in your situation. The Bible says that we are to anchor ourselves. That, that anchor serves as an anchor of hope. And we're to anchor it into that which is behind the veil. And there's nothing else behind the veil but the presence of God. Come on. So we have to have an anchor of hope that is attached to our Heavenly Father in order to survive some of the storms that the enemy sends our ways. Are you hearing me this morning? So the canker worm licks away your hope. And I believe that there are some folks in the room that you have given up hope in some areas in your life. You've decided things are never going to change, so I'm just going to adapt myself to it. I'm just going to accept that this is going to be the way of life for me. Come on, somebody. And God is in this room today to turn that around for you. God is in this room today to give you your hope back. Then there's the caterpillar. The caterpillar in Hebrew is kosil. It's spelled C-H-A-S-A-L for my note takers in the room. And the caterpillar in history, uh, the caterpillar in Hebrew means to devour and it indicates fear. The caterpillar devours you with fear. I don't know if you've ever had a situation come upon your life that has fear has just gotten a hold of you. Fear will paralyze you and render you immobile. Come on. We had a situation in our lives where my husband took over my, uh, my father's, my father-in-law's uh, uh, construction business. And 
it was about the time that the market crashed in 2008, and we took on a, a little over, I think it was $360,000 debt that we took on. We didn't have the uh, capability of taking that on, but he was trying to help my father-in-law from losing his property that he had worked all of his life to do. And so he took that property on, and I got upset with my husband for doing that, and I put my mouth against my husband. I talked to church people about my husband and complained about my husband doing that. Come on. And I began to fear that we were going to go under. The reason I feared so greatly is because the bank that held the note on that property called my husband one day and said, you have 30 days to show up with all of the money owed on this property or we're coming to get your property. They were calling the loans, so to speak. And when that happened, I became paralyzed with fear. And one Sunday morning, my husband was preaching on faith and he made this statement, fear tolerated is faith contaminated. And the Holy Spirit, I was sitting on the front row, right, just right here. And the Holy Spirit just gently tapped me on the shoulder and said, that would be you. So the pastor's wife responded to the altar call that morning. Come on. I led the way when he gave the altar call. And I went to a person where I had actually spoken to her negatively about my husband. And I apologized to her, and I repented before God. And then I turned around and found my husband and apologized to him. And I said, I will not put my mouth against this again. We're going we're gonna to join faith together, and we're going to combat this fear that this bank is going to come and get this loan. And actually, several months passed after the deadline. Of this, of this note being called. They didn't show up in 30 days. And so we just stayed quiet, believing that God would work. I told my husband, don't post on Facebook. Don't drive through that town. <laughs> don't go see anybody in that area. Because it might, they might see you and it, they might remember, oh, yeah, we were going to get that property, right? We just laid low in Jericho. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Come on. And we, we went to... We went out one day just riding around, and we went to a, a, pastor's, uh, a, a pastor's office. And I'm telling you, it was in a town. I don't even think they had a post office. It was out in the boonies. And this, this great pastor with this great church is out there. And we said, let's stop by and see if he's in his office and say hello. And we went in, and he happened to be there. And when we sat down and started visiting, he said, Hey, he said, uh, the Lord's been speaking to me about you guys. And he told me that I'm supposed to help you with some property that you're dealing with. And I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way this guy has the means to bail us out of what we're facing. Because it was such a large amount. And my husband said, oh, no, everything's good. You know how we are. I said it yesterday. We're blessed and highly favored. God's good. Hallelujah. And we're, we're drowning in fear that we're going to lose this, and we're acting like we're full of faith. Come on, somebody. And that's going on in this room right now. 
You came in here with your church clothes on, come on, and you came in here looking like you got it all together, but behind the scenes, the enemy has overwhelmed you with fear in a certain situation in your life. But God's in the room in the Kairos moment today to shift it all, and I'm trying to build your faith with this testimony. And so he asked again, he said, no, sir, the Lord has been waking me up and telling me that there's something going on with some property that you're dealing with, and I'm supposed to help you figure it out. And so my husband told him the longer version of the story of what I just shared with you. When he got done, the pastor was sitting behind his desk. He pulls open his middle drawer and pulls out a checkbook and writes a $360,000 check. And I'm sitting there with my mouth on the floor, my chin on the floor, come on, because I never would have guessed that God would be able to use that man to do that, to bail us out of that. He said, you go pay that loan off at that bank, and you get it moved to another bank that will help you sell that property in pieces. That's what we were planning to do. Was sell, it, was, it was over 60 acres or something like that, and we were going to sell it off in sections. And he said, you get it with a reputable bank and you uh, make sure that they'll let you sell it in those pieces like you're wanting to and he said and then you could pay me back when you get that new loan I could not even believe that God had used somebody like that who I never would have guessed had the means I'm telling you your miracle will come from the most unexpected places God will use people God will use things God will use the most unexpected circumstances and the most unexpected timing we were just out for a drive on the country road and happened to be going by this guy's church and decided to drop in and say hello but it was a Kairos moment. Hallelujah. And God is in this room today. We had joined our faith together and we began to call that property S O L D and God did just that. He has he has he has completely got us out of that debt, completely out of debt. We didn't lose a single plot of land. God turned it around when we started stop when we stopped speaking fear on the situation and started speaking faith on the situation God began to move amen God turned it around God turned it around that was the caterpillar he devours you with fear and fear paralyzes you and gets you to speaking the wrong thing on your situation. Then the last worm was the palmer worm. And that's the word gazam uh, in Hebrew, G-A-Z-A-M. The palmer worm in Hebrew is, means to cut off and it indicates sorrow or grief. It means that it, the palmer worm pictures you being filled with such grief that it has cut you off from the joys of life. Something that has happened in your life that has brought grief into your heart that you can't rejoice in an area. You can't rejoice for anyone else that's going through something 
good or something happy or something wonderful because you are consumed with grief. That's the palm worm. And Joel 2.25 says that I will restore to you the years that these worms have eaten away in your life. So the word restore there is an awesome word in the Hebrew. It blew me away when I studied this to realize the meaning behind this word. The word restore in this verse in the Hebrew is the word shalom. How many of you know what shalom means? (laughs) Peace. It is the word for peace. And God is saying, I will shalom, I will give peace to the years, the time, the chronos time that the enemy has eaten away in your life. It's the word for peace. But there's other meanings for this word shalom that are other than peace. It is the word to describe peace, but it also means completeness, healing, restoration. Listen to this. It means retribution or repayment. Come on. Retribution or repayment. That's just a few. That word shalom is massive in its meanings. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, and you don't have this uh, for the screen, but I just wanted to throw it in this morning. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. And one commentary says it like this about that scripture. It says, discover how the God of perfect peace who fused you skillfully into oneness just like a master craftsman would dovetail a carpentry joint. They have a picture of a a dovetail uh, carpentry joint. I'm sure there's plenty of people in this room that have carpentry skills that know what a dovetail joint looks like. But what he is saying is this is what God does as the God of peace. He dovetails us together. My husband is a carpenter. My son-in-law is a carpenter. And they tell me this is the strongest joint in carpentry. Come on. You don't have to use nails. You don't have to use glue. You don't have to use staples. You just click together. And it's the most solid and most, it's the strongest way to have a joint, uh, a, a piece of carpentry joined together. Come on. And God, the God of peace is saying, this is how I join myself to you in my peace. I dovetail you in to my peace. Y'all, I'm about to run. I'm about to have an old-fashioned, I'm about to run out that back door. I'll be back in a minute. Do you realize, come on, do you realize that is how powerful the peace of God is? He connects to us, and there is no way that any storm of life could tear us apart from him when we are dovetailed together in I don't need your nails. I don't need your staples. Come on. I don't need your glue. I just need the God of peace in my life and in my situation. He said he would restore. He would shalom the years. Now that word is interesting too. The word years is the word shana in Hebrew. 
And guess what it means? It means to repeat again. That means that every second of your life that the enemy has come in and paralyzed you with fear and caused you to lose hope and overwhelmed you with difficulties, God says, I'm giving you that time back. You get a do-over. You get a do-over for every second, every minute, every hour, every week, every month. Y'all ain't helping me in this Presbyterian church. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Take that, devil. He thought he stole from me, but I'm going to the enemy's camp this morning, and I'm taking back everything that the devil stole from me. Hallelujah. It didn't say things. It said years. I don't know if you wasted some time before you got to Christ. And you wish you could go back and regain that time? Well, guess what? This word just tells you God giving you that time back. You may have wasted some years, but God says, I'm restoring that time back to you. Come on. Not just the things, but the years. I've heard you can't get time back, but I believe the scripture just tells us, yes, you can. Which means decades are about to manifest in your life in this season. I can't hardly stay up here, y'all. Woo! Decades, pastor, decades. That this room represents decades of time lost. But God, the God of peace, is in this building today to restore the decades back that the enemy has tried to, tried to rob from these families and rob from this city. Come on. Rob from this, from this world. God's giving you back your time today. Woo, come on, somebody. Decades, decades, things are about to manifest in your life. God says, I'm going to shake things loose for you this year. Hallelujah. When David was in Ziglag in 1 Samuel 30, the Amalekites had raided his camp, took his wives, took his family, took his kids, burned the city. David saw that his men lost all their resolve and their strength. And they began to weep, and they said the men wept till there was no strength left to weep. When you got men weeping until they've lost all their strength, you got a situation on your hands. Come on. And the Bible says something that's so significant. The men wanted to stone David in that time and kill him. They wanted somebody to blame for their loss. But David got up, and he said, I'm going to need to go get that ephod because I've got to put that on and inquire of the Lord. There are two types of people in this room. When something happens to you, all you cry, all you do is cry and allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the circumstances. And then there's some other folks in the room that when the things happen to you, you say, hang on just a minute. i got to get to the house of God. I've got to get in his presence. I've got to inquire of the Lord. I've got to go to church on Sunday because I know the Lord is going to drop a word in my pastor's heart that's going to speak right to me. Come on. That's the type of folks that's in this room. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Sometimes you just need to encourage yourself in the Lord. This means 
you're not going to get your stuff back until you get you back. Ooh, hallelujah. I couldn't get that property situation turned around until I could get myself back in the frame of faith-minded. Come on, and stop walking in fear. You might not want to admit it, but some of you have never recovered from your losses in your life. You've never seen yourself the same. You've never seen God the same. You've never seen your vision for your life the same. And in that moment, things happen to you. And from that moment on, you've walked and lived discouraged. You've lost your courage. Maybe it was a loved one that you lost and you haven't been the same since. Maybe it was a marriage that crumbled and crashed and you haven't been the same since. Maybe it was a ministry opportunity that you missed and you feel like you're never going to get another chance to step into that calling. Maybe it was a diagnosis that has paralyzed you with fear and has kept you from walking in faith and believing that we serve a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly and go way past. You haven't been the same since. You've lost what you used to be. You see the vision, but you have no strength to chase it. So you start downsizing. Come on, somebody. I'm calling it out today. And you, you've been excuse-making as a way to cope with the situation of your setback. And now what you used to talk about, you don't talk about anymore because you've reduced what God had for you down to a degree that you could obtain and that makes you feel better. And most of you have been crying and complaining and upset about what happened because you thought you lost it all. But David said, I'm going to get my stuff back. Come on. I'm going to get my stuff back, and I'm going to get me back so I can go get my stuff back. And when he encouraged himself in the Lord, his spirit returned is what happened. And I believe that when you walk out of this room today, you're going to have your strength back. Come on, church. I don't know if it's for you, but just look over at your neighbor and tell her, tell your neighbor, this is for me today. This is for me today. Come on, you're going to get your stuff back. And that's exactly what David went. He went and got it all back. Come on. You may have went through a season of fear, a season of worry, a season of regret, a season of I don't want it anymore. I've given up chasing after it. But today is a Kairos day, a Kairos moment, a Kairos setting on God's time clock. The enemy planned a setback for you, but God has planned a setup for you. Come on. Woo, it's time for you to catch your breath and get your stuff back. I want the worship team to come back up and the band. And I want us to do that last song. There was a, an anointing on all of it, but that last song was speaking to my spirit. Joel prophesied that the God of peace would bring his shalom, his restoration, his peace, and his healing to change all that was disfigured by the enemy. He would bring his peace, his completeness, his healing, his restoration, and he would bring a retribution and a repayment to them that had lost 
and that he would repeat that moment that the enemy had attacked in their lives. He would repeat that moment as, and he would give that time back to them. Restoration is the heart of God, y'all. We are all targets of God's restoration. God's shalom means nothing missing and nothing broken. And I believe that that's what he wants to do in this room today. I want you just to stand with me all over the room. We're going to have a time of prayer together. And here's my altar call. If you are in this room and you have been affected by the locust, you've had a multitude of difficulties that have drowned out the voice of God, I want you to get out of your seat and come down here right now. A multitude of difficulties. And you'd feel like I can't even hear from God. I'm trying to read the word and it doesn't speak to me. I'm trying to pray and it feels like my prayer is just bouncing off the ceiling. I just can't hear God anymore. For those of you that have come forward, the God of peace is in this room. And this is a Kairos moment. You're here in Kronos time, but this is a Kairos moment in your life. And God is going to do a powerful work. The next altar call is for those that the canker worm has attacked your life. And this may apply to some that's already come, but you've experienced a loss of hope. You've given up. You've given up hope in a situation. Doesn't look like it's ever going to change. It's been going on for so long now that I guess this is just going to be the way of life for me. And I've kind of given up hope. I want you to get out of your seat and get down here because we're about to re-anchor ourselves. We're about to toss our anchor behind the veil this morning into the presence of God and re-anchor ourselves to that which is behind the veil. And then there's others in the room that the caterpillar is what's been represented in your life and you've been paralyzed with fear in some way. If that's you, I want you to get out of that seat and come down here. I'm telling you, if you don't move, you're going to miss the Kairos setting and timing of God. And this applies for anybody on this stage. We'll sing with just the piano if we have to. Come on. I want everybody to respond because this is a setup by God today. He is in this room to break through in your situation. Hallelujah. You've been devoured with fear, paralyzed, paralyzed with fear. You've even spoken negatively like I share. And you begin to doubt is what's coming out of your mouth. Come on, I've got something here. I feel the Holy Ghost dealing with some hearts. And you know I've got to turn the way I'm speaking on this situation around and fill my mouth with faith. And the last one, the palmer worm means sorrow and grief have taken away your joy in life. Oh, the Holy Spirit is in this room to bring healing to your broken heart. Whatever it is that has stolen your joy, 
the God of peace is in this room to restore you. Today is your Kairos moment, and you, my church, my, my people of God, you, my, my friends, family of God, come on, you are on God's timetable today. You're on God's calendar today. He's here to restore everything that the enemy has stolen. He's here to give you peace in any area that you haven't been able to hear the voice of God. He's here to give you peace in any area that you've lost all hope. He's here in any area that you've been devoured with fear. In any area you've been overwhelmed with grief and have lost your joy, He is in this room. Worship team, I want you to sing that song right now. And I want you to sing it prophetically over this crowd. Pastor.